0: Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, your next 20 minutes or so of uh, news and information around the hotel landscape, brought to you by the pair of us at Hotel Analyst. I'm joined by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, and my name is Chris Bound, the editor of Hotel Analyst. And we're starting this week with a review of uh, takeaways from the uh, infamous Berlin Hotel Conference, Which Andrew uh, got back to this year, this last couple of weeks after it was once again revived post COVID, back and in person. How was it for you, Andrew?
1: yeah well it did of course come back at the beginning of september last year so i went along to that one as well so um but that was a much more subdued affair um and probably 800 or so people at that one um whereas this one felt very much like it was business as usual um getting near to the kind of levels that were in terms of attendees that were there in 2019 um the big benefit of course it was in the sunshine because it was held in may um Mm. rather than than rather a chillier March. So that was very pleasant to be in Berlin at that time of year. Um, And there's lots of talk about whether it's gonna be sticking to that timetable or not. We shall see. The atmosphere was mixed. There was huge amount of relief that we're now back to business as usual after sort of effectively a two-year shutdown for the sector. Um, certainly a shutdown from those sort of face-to-face meetings um, that enabled deal flow to, to happen. So there's a great deal of relief that that is e- effectively behind us, well at least within Europe and uh, North America. I think we're going to go on to talk about China later on in this podcast. Mm. but 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 the atmosphere was good from that perspective. The outlook, however, is very much more mixed and there was a lot of uh, talk around the sort of macroeconomic fears. So stagflation, inflation and no growth, possible recession. And we're certainly seeing that here in the UK. There's, you know, this in the last day or so, we've had the numbers coming out uh, um, in terms of much more subdued than expected GDP growth and a lot of fears that we might be going back into recession later this year. Um, So this was a big uh, sort of talking point that everybody was uh, worried about and and the inflationary piece in terms of the impact on costs, so inflation in terms of the uh, uh, labour, Um, situation in particular but also in terms of energy and in terms of food costs. Uh, This was all making for a uh, a very challenging operating situation but uh, the good news is that the top line most people are saying actually that's been phenomenally strong. They had a very good summer across most of Europe and it's coming back looking very healthy now and and indeed business travel looks to be picking up. Uh, significantly quicker than feared. Now, so it's this outlook piece which is the the great worry. Uh, um, Regardless of where it goes in terms of, um, you know, whether we do in fact hit a bit of stagflation, um, um, relatively, the hospitality sector looks well positioned so if you look at other real estate investment asset classes so offices and particularly retail um, that's a lot worse off Um, and people are rotating into hospitality away from those other sectors particularly retail because they see uh, more opportunity there and it's not just the sort of usual suspects coming into hospitality in terms of private equity Um, it's also much more um, longer Term money, institutional money, who are eyeing opportunities in hospitality. Now we've been talking about um, how hotels are a uh, institutional asset class for for years, um, and we really seem to have reached that point now. Um, so that you know they're, they're looking more secure and institutional than. Retail certainly, um, as an investment asset class, so that's good. And even within, um, you know, the super away sector in real estate investment has been industrial, um, particularly sheds, warehouses, um, and even the the lust is coming off a little bit from that um, with Amazon and it's uh, talking about how it's going to sort of uh, cut back on. on on its uh, soar away growth plans um, still growing but not as quickly Um, so I think uh, you know I I think hospitality is relatively super well positioned there Um, if you talk about you know are we heading into a stagflation period or not well I I, you know I just um, I'm a lot more optimistic than many Um, I think sometimes it tends to be very sort of binary it's either super good or super bad and as you know, Chris, as journalists, um, mm-hmm. we chase those headlines with mm-hmm. um, We tend to sort of over egg uh, a particular angle and the, the, the downside has been I think over a little bit too much there you know I'm not saying we're not going to go there because I think it's 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 still too it's too balanced at the moment it's too tough to call but I think there is at least a significant chance that we won't go into recession and things won't be anywhere near as bad now rather than just me saying that um Mm -hmm. um, I looked at as a research outfit called BCA um, and they're one of the less hawkish forecasters and what they're saying is that uh, inflation is going to moderate and growth headwinds um, are going to dissipate. Um, that the principal argument is that the inflation was built on the shortage of goods um, during the pandemic. Uh, now the pandemic's come to an end, those supply chains will come back online. Um, and there'll be a rotation out of goods demand anyway towards services. Um, And I think that will, um, in their view, that will help curb inflationary expectations. And I think, you know, that that's a reasonable argument to put forward. And their argument also is that Ukraine war and the lockdowns in China, um, they are still currently disrupting global supply chains again. And but again, these will abate towards the back end of this year. and to quote them, they say, setting the stage for global growth to revive and inflation to moderate. So, you know, fingers crossed that, that that's the right way of, of, of looking at things. We will see. Um, but this was certainly, you know, if we're, we're talking about what's go you know, in terms of the outlook at uh, um, IHIF, um, it was very much, um, this, this was front and centre of people's um, minds as they think about doing their next deal, quite, you know, how this is going to look and you know if you listen to you know what was said on the stage people are saying actually to give us that little bit of wriggle room we're going to have to push yields up a little bit you know if we're going to do a deal we're going to have to have a little bit more room in there for things to to allow things to sort of come off a bit um, in the deal so um, I, I think that is I think there's a generally more bearish outlook out there than perhaps we'd had six months ago. Certainly in September, um, you know, people were so relieved just to be coming back out to meetings so that they were they, <laughs> that, that in a way, sort of, oh, this is great. Let us get on and get back at it. And I think that has just moderated a little bit. But um, I think as we're going to go on to talk about um, in terms of the results of the the big corporate, the big. Uh, um, global major hotel brand companies um i i, I think it's um there's still um you know that the, the, you can still be reasonably optimistic
0: well and as i was about to say i think you know the, the it certainly felt like the glasses were half full uh, at the tables as uh, as the various ceos uh, pronounced over their first quarter results from uh, hilton from marriott and from intercontinental Um, I mean Chris and Cetera at Hilton, famously a man with a glass always brimming if not not far more than half full Um, uh, but uh, overall no big surprises US uh, performance is already back at or around or exceeding 2019 levels Um, Middle East doing strong Europe coming back nicely Um, China the only dark cloud but that's perceived to be a temporary uh, issue, um, Nacetta insisted inflation is our friend and it's our owners' friend. So he th- he figures that uh, um, any additional costs are going to be hidden by uh, stronger stronger rates. Um, he doesn't think that's going to be a big problem. At um, uh, Intercontinental Paul Edgcumbe Johnson thought that there's going to be a very strong summer of demand and he was quite bullish on that and um, Tony Capuano at uh, Marriott also liking the look of the figures and convinced uh, that things are going to come back stronger and uh, Marriott in particular uh, was very strong on their belief that uh, meetings events and business travel is bouncing back pretty strongly um, and uh, Capuano just taken the the temperature over in Europe and his view was that uh, all, those, uh, t- all that talk from a few months back about continuing to use zoom and reducing carbon footprints seemed to be dissipating as people realized that uh, as you said I think a while back Andrew once your rivals are out on the road and uh, pressing the flesh and looking like they're going to win the business instead of you then it's time for your boss to tell you to get out on the road and chase down that business too so um yeah by and large a very positive uh, outlook from all um they didn't seem to think that the uh, the dark clouds were really very dark or or very meaningful
1: no <clears throat> and i think uh, rightly so and you look at the you know how strong um the recovery recovery has been um, and it's a rate driven recovery. Um, Hilton said that in March system-wide rates were up three percent compared to 2019 so room rates were already above where they were in 2019 so we've got that of course you've got a factor in there's been you've got this inflationary background there h- hitting profits a bit um, but we've we've you know, this is before we've got a full recovery in business travel as well. Leisure rates were up 9%, so super strong there. Um, and Chris setter said, look, um, there's still 2.5 trillion of excess savings, he reckons, in, in consumer pockets, at the, um, and they're going to spend a lot of that on travelling. So this, this pent-up demand, you know, it's going to be an ongoing Uh, feature for for the next few quarters at the very least. So we're we're not done with that pent-up demand getting splurged um, and that's as business travel begins to ramp back up and it seems to be ramping back up a lot quicker than feared. Um, So they gave some interesting numbers um, in the Hilton conference call about the segment mix. So Pre-pandemic, business travel was 55%. Um, It's currently 45%, having gone down, um, well, right all the way down to 35% at the depths of the pandemic. So we've seen this big, big climb back in terms of the business segment, but a, a, a bit still to go. And he's confident that you know, we're going to see that quite quickly. Um, Marriott had, as you said, Chris, very similar things to say. Um, Their leisure demand, they said, had already recovered fully last year. Um, And Q1 Leisure Transient, leisure demand was 10% above 2019 levels in Q1, 10% above the the demand. So that that shows just how strong, you know, that's that $2.5 trillion worth of money um, being splurged on travel, or at least bits of it being splurged on travel. And that's going to continue coming in. So I think it's it's really still super positive and um, yeah we've got this these these threats um, in terms of the recession we've just touched on but uh, um, it, you know and clearly we're going to see an economic slowdown as we wrestle with interest rates versus uh, um, inflation interest rates I mean it, it, it's a bizarre kind of situation we have macroeconomically because we're trying to push uh, we're trying to hold back cost push inflation which really isn't curbed at all by raising interest rates the only way of curbing it is if you create a recession and that brings it down and that's effectively what the 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 central banks are going to be trying to do is is to really turn off the growth taps to try and bring down um, a very difficult type of inflation now um, if some of the optimistic economic forecasters like BCA who I just talked about are right um, by the end of uh, this year we you know, we will have done the tightening cycle and we'll be back onto a sort of a normal level um, uh, which uh, you know we'll have had a little bit of a um, uplift in terms of interest rates we're back to, to where they were um, um, well we won't quite be back to where they were uh, pre- global financial crisis but we will be back above the sort of all-time lows but they'll still be sort of within the bottom 25 percent of uh, of where they've historically sat so we'll still have remarkably low finance costs um and this if we do come back out and get going again with growth that is going to set us fair for uh um for 2023 2024 um we'll see but right now um, the global major
0: situation looks looks pretty good pretty good pretty much all the way around apart from obviously uh, with one glaring exception and that is uh, China and uh, in fact uh, Intercontinental who of course got quite a bit of exposure to to the Chinese market uh, did did say that things were a bit tricky there at the moment but uh, their feelings were this will wash over in a few months time before the end of the year well such confidence is is great, but it's not really helping the uh, the locals. Um, and we've been having a look at uh, well, the latest quarterly figures out from Chinese operator Hua Zhu and uh, also taking a look at uh, last year's uh, results uh, put out by the um, the massive Jinjiang Group, uh, who of course have uh, tentacles into hotel brands and and groups all over the world. Um, both of them struggling with this sort of sawtooth, on-off um, business they're having to cope with as a result of um, lockdowns as the, uh, the authorities in China continue to use their, their lockdown policy as a way of containing the COVID outbreaks. Um, and it's, well, you know, the, the frustration was evident in the uh, in the narratives uh, from both of those companies as well as evident in, in the figures. And it is providing them with quite a, a troubling time Uh, and you know let's hope it ends soon but uh, uh, in the meantime is it wreaking longer-term damage
1: Mm. Um, clearly there there is huge problems with uh, the zero covid strategy being pursued um, by Beijing Um, whether they'll carry on with that um, beyond this year it, who's to say? But if if they do, then it's going to be ongoing pain and problems, I think, because it, you just can't control um, Omicron and the other various variants. So they don't even name them anymore, <laughs> do they? They just give... Um, um, but they just seem to be even more contagious, if less deadly. Um, So I I just think they're going to have to give that up eventually. It's just a question of when they when they make that decision. Uh, Right now, though, it's tough. Now, the bigger picture issue in China, however, is the property market meltdown. Um, I think we've touched on this previously, but it's worth just going back over again. So Evergrande's the most visible example of that. Now, the, the, the liabilities at this one property developer, Evergrande, it's almost 2% of China's GDP, uh, 2 trillion worth of an imby. Um, So it's a huge amount of liabilities there, um, which is obviously going to, as that comes through, that's going to cause a lot of pain in the economy. Uh, we're already seeing growth rates half from the double digits of 10% plus down to 5%, probably going to be significantly lower than that going forward. Um, people reckon, uh, so economists estimate that thirty percent of China's GDP is accounted for by property and related sectors. If this is now in meltdown, um, it's clearly going to have a very big impact on on, on Chinese growth going forward. Um, but. Um, China is still going to be a significant market. Um, And there's two bits that was interesting. In Berlin, China came up, um, Curly Brennan from KSL referenced it. And he said there were two bits to it. One was the outbound capital they keep an eye on. And one is the outbound tourism. Um, So I think the outbound capital I think is gone, um, I don't think we're going to see a lot of outbound capital from from now on and in fact I think we could even see the opposite happening, um, the likes of Jinjiang and Wazoo sell up what they've recently bought in Europe, so selling up Deutsche Hospitality and in Xinjiang's case selling up Radisson and Louvre. Um, the the, the simple fact of the matter is that their domestic market is so much bigger um, and so much more important um, that and and they need and the government is going to lean on them to bring back cash to reinforce domestic growth given the the challenges and struggles domestic growth has right now so uh, there's a lot of reasons to believe I think that um, those 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 things will be that those those transactions will come to ahead we will see Um, if you look at that outbound market though that that's still there and it's still going to be huge so uh, back in 2019 when the world was still sort of normal um, the outbound market according to the world tourism organization was worth 227 billion Um, in 2019 um, the next biggest outbound market was the US almost half the size at 119 billion so you see just how big that outbound piece is already and as we continue to see growth in the Chinese middle class um, even at the subdued rates that we're anticipating there still be you know Um, you only need a a small percent on a very big number for it to be something quite meaningful and you know a Chinese population of 1.3 billion um, you know you only need a fraction of a percent of that to keep becoming into the middle class bracket and to become outbound tourists again and that 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 becomes very significant so I think that is going to carry on and that outbound market piece is going to be critical um, and a key feature of particularly the Asian the broader Asian tourism market so most Chinese travelers head out to Thailand and Cambodia and that's a huge huge market for them which will continue You know, once they're able to travel, I say continue. (laughs) Once they uh, are able to leave the country, that will come back very quickly. And I think one of the remarks that we had um, in Berlin is that this recovery we've seen is without the, um, you know, the, the, the tailwinds of these, this the world's biggest outbound market coming back online. So as this huge market comes back online, which it ultimately will do, um, I think we are, you know, really set fair for a for a strong period of, uh, of growth. Um, but for China itself, I think that's going to be much more centred on um, domestic. Um, and I think given the geopolitical situation, given the sort of decoupling which is being talked about between autocratic regimes like China's and Russia's, and you can add the the others in there um and the west um i i I do think it we're likely to see less um um interest from the chinese to to invest in in western markets so it's a it's a it's a nuanced picture i think and um china's certainly not going away but it's going to be much less and i guess in 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 my commentary I, i i uh, compare it to what happened in Japan if you remember the Japanese uh, uh in the 1990s well the late 80s it was talked up as going to be the world's biggest economy it was going to overtake the U.S. I mean I think there was one point when there was a um the the bit of land which the uh um, that the the emperor's palace in tokyo uh sits on was worth more than all of manhattan um, and all of this kind of ridiculous stuff that that happened then and of course the wheels came off that spectacularly at the beginning of the 1990s there's this huge crash and really the japan has plateaued it didn't disappear it didn't um and entirely crater but in in terms of well, certainly property market did but in terms of its importance as an outbound market and as an economy it was still the second biggest in the world and then slipped and as, as china overtook it into the third place it's still a, a very important market with very rich uh consumers um but uh it, it but no, no no by no means have we seen the sort of um it taking over the world and i think even even with China which has a much bigger population than um, Japan's I it's very hard to see that living up to anywhere near the hype that you know even you know we were talking about Chris within Hotel Analyst 10 years ago I simply don't see that happening and um, I I think there's all sorts of reasons why China now in terms of its growth is just going to be plateauing. Um, um, I think that, you know, when you've got an autocratic government, I think that its shift into a more consumer-orientated economy which requires innovation, um, I think it's much harder for that sort of government to deliver that um, for its people. So for all of these reasons, I think there's going to be a, a plateauing within China, and I think it's uh, it's it's a very different outlook for China than uh, where we were a few years ago. And now ago. to
0: our five-star star awards this week for our five star award andrew you're turning to another slightly more optimistic asian market
1: yeah so india which is um it's it's a difficult market um for for internet i mean india is notoriously has a suffers a, a a big Problem with corruption, and uh, it, it's very diff- you know, any developments they take years longer than they would in better functioning markets. Um, so uh, it, it's very problematic, um, but it is. It is still, uh, you know, a fantastic opportunity, and that came through very clearly um, with the Indian Hotels uh, Company Limited uh, results. Um, they were talking about the return on capital employed in their uh, domestic operating hotel assets on a consolidated basis, uh, Rossi of 15%, which is a phenomenal level really, um, you know, and you're looking into the sort of, you're doing well typically to have, you know, um, high high single digit um, to, to get into any sort of double figures is is, is a you know, sort of the very best budget hotel operators sort of the likes of Whitbread, sort of want to get to the 12, 13, 14 so percent that's their target level but to see this being delivered with what is primarily a, a you know an upscale and mid-scale uh, portfolio is, is quite phenomenal and just shows if if you can deal with the challenging market which of course the Tata Corporation the um, the, the the biggest um, shareholders in IHCL um, have been doing for generations in India and um, they're well established there and they've coped with that difficult market and um, it shows just what you can get.
0: Goes to Andrew.
1: Yeah, well, the other giant emerging economy, um, one of the BRICs, the Brazil, Russia, India, China, and this is uh, China, and it's no stars for their ongoing uh, zero COVID strategy. And uh, it is a huge problem um, in terms of how operators are dealing with it. And as Wazu noted in their Q1s, um, it is forcing hotel operators in that country that that country to to yet again engage in a, a round of cost cutting so and um, to quote the uh, the release from wazoo it says we are now implementing several costs and cash flow management measures so oh dear um they're still at it they're still having to slash um because of the 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 nonsensical zero covid
0: and study. all that sobering thought we'll say goodbye for now